welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen. If you don't mind, remain standing. Um, we're still in our series on decoding your faith. Restart the clock for me, family. Uh, decoding and hold it. Yep, until I finish reading. Thanks. Um, did you say Pastor Kirk? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, decoding your faith. So turn with me to Matthew, the 11th chapter, verses 25 through 30. Verses 25 through 30. Let us read. One, two, three, read. Amen. Today, I'd like to talk about, from the subject, Western Christianity versus Biblical Christianity. Meeting the real Jesus. Meeting the real Jesus. Let's go before our God. God, I feel the weight of a million souls. I hear the doubts. The confusion, some rightfully placed, and some slander. And God, I pray that we're delicate and loving and gracious, merciful, and truthful as we go through this. Guard my words with extraordinary supernatural guard because I don't want to traumatize anybody or re-traumatize, yet I ask you to convict where needed. Um, and so, God, I'm learning in this process. I come as no expert, but one that's submitted to you and apprenticed to you so that somebody can get help on their journey with you or begin their journey with you. So, my master, let the words of my mouth in the meditations of my heart, be acceptable to you and helpful to others. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, <laughs> when I first meet someone or, or like I'm on, if I'm on a plane or if I meet someone, of course, the subject matter comes up always. So what do you do for a living? And me, I usually say, I'm a content expert. Because I write. Or I'm an author or I'm a public speaker. What kind of subject matter do you speak on? And I'm like, dang. Um, uh, I speak on personal development, like life coaching stuff. Really, what do you write on? The same thing. And one time my son, we was doing that, and my son was like, my oldest was like, Dad, why didn't you just say you was a pastor? And I said, son, when, you, when I say that I'm a pastor, that 
caricature, I don't know what their framework for me being a pastor is. And what it automatically does is it cuts off my ability, whether to build a relationship with them, whether to develop trust. And, I, and, you know, and then walking him through why that's an issue. And I got convicted about the fact that I had to hide that I'm a pastor. I got convicted about that because I, I, I realized that there's something that's been done in our world where pastor doesn't mean credibility. But pastor for some can mean predator. Pastor for some can mean false teacher. Pastor for some can mean abuser. Pastor can, for some can mean thief. Things that really aren't even a framework of the characteristics of a leader in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're supposed to be above reproach, but in the world, we've been branded as those at the bottom of the barrel of commitment to people. And so I find myself, once people find out I'm a pastor, having to work with them to decode what a pastor is in their eyes so that they can see me first as a human being. And then, hopefully, if there's grace available for it, which I know it is, that they would see things differently. And it's crazy that we even have to work that way. I know you as a Christian may have to do that. You may say, say, say you know, uh, why do you believe that particular issue on abortion? Or why do you believe this particular issue about sexuality? Why do you believe it? And if you say a Christian, then they're going to view you saying you're a Christian in a particular way. So most of you at work don't want nobody to know you're a Christian. And, and some of it is because of ungodly embarrassment, where you're ashamed of the gospel. On the other hand, some of it is, I know how my coworkers feel about Christianity, and it's going to be, I'm going to have two jobs. My first job is going to be what I'm paid to do. And my second job is the work I'm going to have to do to help them to reframe and rebrand Christianity. And that's a big job that we're going to have to be working on, church. When we talk about Western Christianity versus biblical Christianity, the way Christianity has been branded in the West needs to be rebranded, and it is a huge work. And let me say this. As huge of a work as it is, God's here for it. Let me just, let me just give you some encouragement. God is concerned about how his people are viewed from the people that he wants to reach. It's very, very important. He's, he's actually, like, concerned about that. He's, he, wants to, he wants us to have good witnesses. He wants us not cheating on our taxes and then saying hallelujah. <laughs> hey, God. You know, he wants us, he want, he wants us that. Now the, now, the pressure is, as we rebrand Christianity, which with God's help, the challenge <coughs> is going to be <coughs> how people perceive our imperfections. See, as a Christian, if we're going to rebrand Christianity, we can't rebrand ourselves perf perfectly or in perfection. It's very dangerous. Please stay with me because this is very, very important. It's interesting that the way Christianity has been so rebranded in, in the West, you, you hear how people are even funneling or even building strongholds around people who are deconstructing or have deconstructing or need to deconstruct. Listen to what Malcolm X said uh, he was taught. Malcolm X says, this religion taught the Negro that black was a curse. That's true. Stay with me, y'all. Y'all with me, right? It taught him to hate everything black, including himself. It taught him that Everything white was good to be admired, respected, and loved. It brainwashed this Negro <laughs> to think that he was superior if his complexion showed more of the pol white pollution of the slave master. This is what he's saying. The white man's Christian religion further deceived and brainwashed this Negro to, Negro to always 
turn the other cheek and grin and scrape and bow and be humble and to sing and to pray and to take whatever was dished out by the devilish white man and to look for his pie in the sky and for his heaven in the hereafter while right here on earth the slave master white man enjoyed his heaven. <laughs> so you have to understand now, I'm not trying to brand decoding as only a black issue. Most of the decoding is happening among our brothers and sisters who are white as well. And so, there, but, but there is decoding that is happening in different spheres and systems. And this is one where what the decoding is trying to do is say Christianity isn't for you because it was a creation. See, so when we talk about deconstruction, someone, so, uh, 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 somebody just turned in and you're like, what in the world is deconstruction? Let's get the definition again. <laughs> deconstruction is the process of reevaluating your core beliefs or evaluating whether or not the religious belief system you were nurtured in, you have really, really embraced. Now, as we look at deconstruction, the modern form of deconstruction was reintroduced, or introduced in its term by Jack Derrida, a philosopher. <laughs> and the natural, this form of deconstruction that he uses was the one to just deconstruct resources that they read, but now it's pulsated into an entire movement. And like I said last year, um, last week, that deconstruction, listen, is not anything new. So when we say deconstruction, I want to have terms so that <clears throat> I like defining terms. Somebody say define the terms. So when we say Western Christianity, what do we mean by that? Because as we get in the text, I want you <clears throat> to really have your mind wrapped around so you're not wondering what I mean when I say something. Because sometimes certain terms mean certain things to certain people and terms mean something else to other people. So when we say Western Christianity, Western Christianity consists of the Latin church, of the Catholic church, and a variety of Protestant denominations and other originating groups in the Western world. The term is used in contrast to Eastern Christianity, Western Christianity, and developed and became predominant most in Europe, Northern Africa, Southern Africa, and throughout Australia. So when we talk about this idea of Western Christianity, it started with Constantinian Christianity. What do I mean by that? In, in, the, uh, uh, in, the, in the fourth century, <laughs> um, Constantine <coughs> wanted to make Christianity the religion of the empire. This is very important. When that happened, anybody in the empire was assumed to be Christian because they were part of the empire, not because they trusted Jesus. Stay with me. That thread has followed us for 1,700 years. That, that's the, so, so as Christianity traveled from Israel to Africa and from Africa to Europe. I'm going to say that one more time. Y'all didn't get that. Because Christianity traveled from Israel to Africa and from Africa to Europe. Alexandria became a force for Christianity for a thousand years. Then Europeans got it after the, after the Great Schism, the, the split between the East and the West. The Dark Ages happened. Christianity reemerged in Europe in a, what they would call a pure form Protestantism. But the Church of England, that was separate from the Catholic Church, was ran by our white siblings, and what they began to do is they began to have imperialistic, capitalistic uh, uh, desires, and they began using their authority in connection with the state that, that was in connection with 700 years. I mean, uh, uh, at that point, uh, that was 1,300 years of Constantinian Christianity. In other words, the, the state and the church must be merged if we're going to actually have a good society, and then what happened is, is they began slave owning and pillaging everybody across the planet and brought their philosophy of life as the philosophy of life as a unified culture which impacts us today. Stay with me. It's going to have a very good effect on our understanding of this as we dive into this text. 
And so this is very important. So let's talk about the challenge of consumption. Y'all y'all still with me? I'm just building a foundation. You know, one of the things that you have to learn how to do is have faith in the midst of ambiguity. This is very important. Why is this important in relation to what we're talking about? Because in this society, as we talk about the Western Christianity versus biblical Christianity, <clears throat> there will be things that come up that you have a right to question that are good questions, but you have to find the right places for the right answers. So uh, a, a, a pastor in Oregon broke down these stages of deconstruction. It's very good. I've elaborated on some of them. Stage one, blind certainty. So most people, when you become a Christian, you're, you're blind in your certainty. You're just like, whatever you're taught, you're just eating it up, right? Or if you're raised in a church, you just eat it up, right? You just eat it up. However, <coughs> what happens is you go to college or you get out on the block or you go to work or you get in friendships or wherever you go, everybody doesn't have the same worldview as you. And so where you don't have answers and there's gaps, sometimes doubt fills it, Right? Because, you, because usually when you start learning doctrine, you have an idealistic understanding of it. That's very important. So stage two of deconstruction is experience life that doesn't add up with what you were taught. Now the problem is most people get there and they stay there and kind of work their way through it. <laughs> it's, but, but the place you want to get to is stage three. Stage three is the reconstruction phase. So stage one, blind certainty. Stage two, deconstruction. Stage three is reconstruction. This is where you develop convictions. Listen to me. So levels of clarity amidst tough gaps, but have enough reasonable faith to stay stable. Listen, let me explain something to you. In other words, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, Pastor Guess. Levels of clarity amidst tough gaps, but having enough reasonable faith to remain stable. <clears throat> this, is, this is a 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 10 issue, right? Stay with me. Now, strong disciples are made of people who survive ferocious doubt. I'm just, I'm just going to... Jesus is going to help us with this. Doubt can be the journey to greater depths. But listen to what Barna says about millennials. Barna says the average millennial <clears throat> spends 3,000 hours looking at digital worldly content a year. And 150 hours looking at solid faith content. So who do you think is going to win? If you watch YouTube all every time, you know, you go to the bathroom, you know, you watch. You watching YouTube. You on the sub, you watching YouTube. When the light turns red, you watching YouTube. Let me build it, y'all. And what happens is you're, you're spending a hunch, a husky part of your day. And then, then once you get in the algorithm, it starts recommending other doubt stuff to you because you've looked at so much of it that now it refeeds you and builds a greater foundation. And you're being taken further and further and further and further away. Then when it comes to godly content, you, you have no, um, no attention span for it. So, so when we look at this family, deconstruction is nothing new. Hear me. The prophets, every time a prophet spoke against a nation, he's deconstructing. Let me explain this, and then I'm getting into this text. Y'all still with me? <clears throat> Good deconstruction... These are notes I wrote late, fellas. Y'all can put it up later. Good deconstruction is when you use the Bible, history, and experience to deconstruct the church 
and the world's influence. I'll start it back over because I really want y'all to get this stuff. Good deconstruction is when you use the Bible, history, <laughs> experience, and experience to deconstruct the church and the world's influence to distill down to the truth. On the other hand, bad deconstruction is when you use false understanding of a Bible, history, and experience to falsely deconstruct God, Christianity, history, and experience. So deconstruction in and of itself, family, isn't wrong. It can be a journey towards truth. It can be. <laughs> and so, and so let's, let's look at this passage. This, I had to pick where Jesus wasn't deconstructing something. I mean, I mean, Jesus' ministry is a ministry of deconstruction. I'm going to show you so much in the Bible. It just, it's interesting. The Bible, God was already preparing us for this. What I love about the Bible, people say, do you believe the Bible is infallible? I said, man, it's impossible the way the Bible deals with issues for man that had just come up with it. I got one point, one point only, and I'm out your way. I, I just... I can't even believe, I'm, I can throw myself on, by faith on the mercy of the text. That's what's so, that's what's so beautiful about being a believer. I, I, my, I feel the peace of God when I was driving up here this morning. I just felt the Holy Ghost. I felt him. I said, this is, this, this is just an alley. He's like this. Go ahead and take that thing, Eric. Go ahead and take that thing. I said, here we go. When I get that flat out, I'm slam dunking it for you, God, in Jesus' name. Jesus always, Jesus always, listen, always breaks through the false for the real. Always. That's classic deconstruction. He always breaks through the false for the real. Always. Always. Look at the verse. Now, in the context of this verse, he's just put the religious generation on blast. Like Jesus, Jesus was easy on sinners and hard on religious people who didn't know they were sinners. <laughs> it's crazy. They said, why was he easy on her? But he blasted them because they should have known better. He said, at this time, and not, now he's being easy on the sinners. He just put the, the, the religious people on blast. Now he's being easy on the sinners. Because sinners, you don't have to show them Romans 3.23. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. He doesn't start with sin talking to the sinner because the sinner already knows that they're sin. That's a good missiological point I just gave you. You don't have to tell a sinner that. You don't have to go around here and tell a drug addict that they're a sinner. They know it. They need, they need, they need the burden of why they're sinning removed. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. <laughs> Look at verse 25. Said, at this time, Jesus said, Jesus just started praying. Can you imagine a preacher just outside? He just started talking to God in front of everybody. And he putting people on blast while he praying. Jesus was wild. Look at what he say. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you hear these things from the wise and intelligent. He just, he just slighted the religious people. I'm glad you ain't even revealing yourself to them. He said, and reveal them to infants. People who are easy. Now the, now, the challenge with those who are easy is there's a naivete there, and, but there's an openness. Look at verse 26. He said, yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. So God revealing and deconstructing people's faith, which you're going to see in this text, is what God loves to do. He loves to clarify things. So, family, if you have questions, don't run from the church. Church, don't run people off in life group or in Bible study because they have hard questions and you're too lazy to answer them. Jesus said it's God's good pleasure to reveal things to people who don't understand what's going on. That's the whole purpose of ministry. So when we talk about deconstruction, you now see, you don't, you, don't, you don't question God. No, you're lazy. That's what it is. You don't question them. You don't ask, 
Ask Habakkuk. Habakkuk went off. Now God jammed him up. Now God, where you at? You know what I'm saying? I'm Eric Mason translation. All this stuff happening. You ain't done nothing. He let him talk for an entire chapter. Then Yahweh said, you finished, dog? And then he lit him up. Let me say this. God, infants, God can handle your questions. God's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your sexuality. He ain't afraid of it, your little questions about, his, about sexuality and what your desires are and what you feel like you were born with. He's not afraid of it. He loves you enough to invite you and sit down with you in civil discourse and lovingly talk you through it. <laughs> That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. Is that you don't have to come phony. Listen, when God catch you in something, just tell all of the truth. Listen, it's freedom. See, when, see getting, your, getting your bones broken in phases is bad. That's why David would say when he would get convicted by the Holy Spirit, my bones are broken and my kidneys, you, can't, you, only, have, you only have nerves in your kidneys. And my kidneys is, because that's how he felt, because God was doing surgery on him in the process of calling him to repentance. <laughs> see, God, God does not mind your questions. So it's his good pleasure. Oh, I got to move. Verse 27, look at what it says. All things have been entrusted to me by the Father. I love this. Jesus, although equal with the Father, shows his personhood subordination to his role in the Godhead. Wish I had time to preach that, but that's not what the sermon is about. Said, no one knows the Son except the Father. This is bold. He's, he's telling you he's God right here. <laughs> he's telling you he's God. How do I know? Watch. He says, no one knows the son except the father. That's a bold statement to say no one, not even angels, heavenly hosts know him. Intimately. Except the father and no one knows the father except the son. He just said, I'm God. Why? Because God dwells in unapproachable light on his throne. That's what my Bible says. And the seraphim cover their face because they, they, they can't look at him. Because nobody, even perfect heavenly beings, can look God in the face and live. But God the Father and God the Son look each other in the face constantly. He said, nobody don't know him but me, family. How do I know? He said, no one has seen the Father, First John, I mean, John 1, 18. Nobody has seen the Father except for the only begotten or unique. Begotten is a bad word because it, 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 it's not the proper translation of it. But the only, the only unique son who's in the bosom. Bosom means presence at a table sitting, looking face to face at someone. So he's telling you, I'm qualified to deconstruct well because I've looked God in the face because I'm God and we've communicated and we've decided we want you free. He said, no one. So then he says, and anyone, he's telling you he's sovereign right here. Listen to what he said. He said, I'm sovereign. What does he say? Anyone to whom the son desires to reveal him. This is very important. So Jesus has been given permission by the Father. This is a theology lesson. He gave away independent use of his attributes in his incarnation without stop being God. So trying to be God in his incarnation, functionally using his attributes is cheating. However, God gave him permission in salvation to be sovereign. This is good. I'm by myself. He said, all things been handed over to me. He said, anyone who the sons desire. So Jesus' entire ministry is about revealing. And deconstruction is the process of having Jesus revealed to you. Super important. Right? That's what good deconstruction is. So look at verse 28. Look at what it says. Come to me. 
That's a key statement. He didn't say go to Twitch. He didn't say go to YouTube. He didn't say go to Instagram. He didn't say go to Snapchat. He didn't say go to Essence. He didn't say go to the Breakfast Club. He didn't say go to the Joe Button podcast. He didn't say go to Drink Champs. He said, come. The reason why many of us aren't getting what we need because we're going to the wrong places. He said, come to me. He said, come to me. He said, he said, and this is, you're only qualified to come to me if you're in this state. Look at what the text says. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Anybody tired out there? Anybody got some heavy stuff out there? If that's you, you're a candidate to come to Jesus. Weary means, <coughs> guess what weary means? Emotionally fatigued and discouraged. Listen, guess what that means? Traumatized. You know, that's a, you know if you traumatize, the worst place you can go is somewhere else. Some, listen, trauma is a very big buzzword right now. Everybody trauma. That traumatized me. That re-traumatized me. Where you going after you get traumatized? And you go, you going to the Enneagram and every fool out there. You're going to get you some sage. You already traumatized, and the devil just say, oh, they opened the door for us. Here I come. Here I come in there. And you going in deeper. And you going to everything else. You going to seances. You're going ring, 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 yo, and all that. Listen, come to me. So come to me. Now you're asking, what does it look like to come to him? Be around where he's dispensing right information. <laughs> the coming to him. And everybody want our own personal relationship. But let me tell you this. The Bible doesn't teach mainly a personal relationship. It teaches you coming to a body, not an individual relationship. You have to give an account. And, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm going too long. Let me, forgive me, Lord. Say, so come to me who are weary and burdened. Um, what, why is Jesus saying all of this? The weariness and the burdensomeness came from the pharisaical system of church that was created. So they created a false Christian, I mean, cross people of God system. So Jesus comes on the scene to fight them. They think Rome's their problem. They want the Messiah to come help them with Rome. No, the people need help from you. One of the biggest things people need help from is religion. Not religious structure that was created by God. I'm talking about that other thing that gets created as a bastardized version of what God created. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say, family? You remember we said, my favorite statement in the Bible, you heard it say, but I say to you. Guess what that is? Deconstruction. That's exactly what it is. Guess what he's deconstructing? I know we don't deal with none of this today. He, he does this the whole, he does this for three chapters. He takes the hot button issues that Israel is dealing with and says, y'all got it wrong. This is the way or you have a limited application of what sin really is. So he deals with the real purpose of the people of God versus what has been promoted. The real purpose was for them to go to the world. And be, that's why he said, you are a light. But Israel had become an ingrown toenail. So he had to deconstruct their missiology. 
I'm by myself. He said he had to, he had to let them know he was going to fulfill the law and they couldn't. That's why he says, I, I don't come to destroy it, I come to fulfill it. He's deconstructing. He's like, you're never meant to fulfill the law, you can't. He said, and then he lets us know where real murder takes place. He said, so you, he said, he said, he basically, Jesus basically told us in the Sermon on the Mount that every human being is a serial killer. Why? He said, you think because you ain't stabbed nobody or shoot nobody, you ain't killed nobody. But he said, when you think something in your heart against them, you've done the same thing. Now, a serial killer is a person that goes around and secretly kills people. And they're hard to find. How many people in your life have you killed with your thoughts about them in your heart? See, God is like, <laughs> go ahead, Sister Sheila. <laughs> but you see, <laughs> see, Jesus, guess what he's doing in this passage? He's not deconstructing the structures around them. He's deconstructing their own hearts. See, 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 he said, if you look at a woman, they ain't never heard that. They was like, oh, I ain't. I ain't hit. Cool. I'm good. Jesus said, nah, when you created an image in your mind and you did the act in your heart, you did it. Deconstruction. He talks about loving people as generosity. He talks about judging rightly. He said, you can't be in the same sin and judge somebody of what they're doing that's the same sin as you. He said, that's judgmentalism. So you're like, they was there. you have to understand, they had never heard anybody deconstruct the system of religiosity and cultural foolishness that had been around them. And then at the end, Jesus Christ closes it and says, there's two foundations that exist. A man built a house on sand and a man built a house on a rock. And he told the difference between the person who builds on sand and who builds on the rock. He said, if you deconstruct improperly, as mad as you are at God and as mad as you are at the system, as mad as you are at everything, and you can leave if you want. We love you, but you're on sand. But if you come to me and if you build on a rock... <laughs> and I like the response. It says, and the people said, whoa, a teaching with authority. That's what it says in the text. It said, they ain't never heard nothing like this. How has Christianity been wearisome and burdensome? In our culture, the way Western Christianity is done, not addressing its sins. People viewing Christianity through the lens of its presentation. What are we weary of? We're weary of colonized Christianity. That's what we're weary of. We're weary of conservatism masquerading itself as biblical Christianity. We're weary of liberalism masquerading itself as loving Christianity. Neither one of them get off the hook. We're weary of white supremacy in Christianity. Ain't nobody say amen on that part. We're weary of legalism. We're weary of spiritual abuse. We're weary of self-righteousness. We're weary of cultural imperialism. Telling me I have to be like you to be a Christian versus like Jesus. I have to dress a certain way. I have to look a certain way. I have to do devotions a certain way. I got to pray a certain way. Come to me. Ho-hoo-ha. I have to do small groups for community. Only. I have to do Bible study to study the Bible only just to hear the per all of these different structures. There's nothing wrong with them if they serve the purpose of the original principle. But you can't tell me to do it that way is to only the way to do it biblically. That's what I'm saying. Erasing our history and culture and identity. We're sick of misogyny. The way women are treated. We're, we're tired of Christian 
white nationalism. He said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. And guess what he says? I'll give you rest. <laughs> I'll give you rest. What does this mean? The word rest here is the word that points to Sabbath. For Jesus, Sabbath isn't a day. It's a lifestyle of trust. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it, Sabbath doesn't mean laziness. Hear me. It's a promise of fruitful work and confident rest for God to restore and refill us. That's real rest. Resting from the law and its requirements and doing. And if I do this, if, if, I, if I serve in this, this way, then I, God will like me. If I do this for this person, then they'll like me. If, this, if I do this, I got to see. When you're a slave to other people's human desires, you're burdened and weighed down and weary. Because have you ever had somebody that no matter what you did for them, no matter how you care for them, no matter how you love them, it's the open grave of, 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 of trying to get their affections and their love and commitment. And God said, I came to give you rest from people that don't care nothing about you that are going to be an empty grave of your affections. Come to me. That's what the law did. He says in verse 29, he says in verse 29, take my yoke. I love this. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me because I am meek and humble at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke. It's oxen. I know not many of y'all here from the country. You know, people are like, what's a yoke? Egg yolk? Is somebody swole from lifting weights? He yoked up? You know, she yoked up? No, that's not what the yoke means there. Um, yoke is what's put around an oxen to plow a field. Jesus uses spiritual yoke as an example of what it looks like to till the spiritual life. Okay? And so what he's saying is, is that people, or the Pharisees in this case, put yokes on you that are heavy to pull. Now, what Jesus said, they're pulling alone, but what Jesus is saying here, he called them infants. Key word. So what he does here is he says, he says, he says, Take my yoke upon you. So they already know because they're agriculturally inclined. They know that usually when a yoke is being shared by more than one oxen, the big oxen gets in the front and takes most of the load. The little oxen that doesn't have the muscles, the know-how, or the strength to carry the whole load gets behind the big oxen so that it can learn how to till, but it doesn't till alone the whole weight, but the big oxen gets in front of the little oxen to help the little oxen to learn how to till, but never taking on the weight of the full measure of the tilling. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Jesus does in the spiritual life. He says, listen, take my yoke upon you. Take, take what, to like, my, my, mine is different. Mine is different than theirs. What does is, what is Jesus' yoke look like? Grace. 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 Forgiveness. Forgiveness. That's his yoke. Forgiveness. Freedom with boundaries. That means now you see freedom from his perspective because you can't till everywhere. I hope I ain't, oh, I ain't break the mic. I ain't break the mic. Rest from trying to earn God's favor. Resting from judgment. Resting from decolonizing. Resting from not having a clear identity in Jesus, but having a clear one. Not defining ourselves in relation to whiteness. Not defining ourselves by false forms of righteousness. Women being valued. Do you know that Jesus gave radical value to women? 
His greatest supporters of his ministry in Luke 8 were women. That's who financially supported his ministry. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, um, uh, um, women f- saw themselves more free in Christ than they did in the society around them. Because coming to Christ broke the social norms of their culture. So coming to Jesus isn't coming into a misogynist relationship. Oh, y'all ain't going to talk back to me. Encouraging comprehensive value. And guess what we need to learn? This is a big one, bigger than individualism. Learning that Christianity is global. Western Christianity's problem is it views itself as Jerusalem. Um, It views itself as the new Israel. That's to tell the world how to do everything. That's called American patriotism, not Christianity. I'm by myself, y'all. Let me, let, me, let me get some help. Bantu, talk to him. Christianity is and always has been a global religion. For this reason, it is important to never think of Christianity as becoming global. God has been at work among every nation since the beginning. From the moment God called Abram to be the progenitor of God's chosen people, the vision for his plan was intrinsically global. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you, Genesis 12, 3. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has continued to draw people from every nation, including Africa and Europe and Australia and wherever else, into the body of Christ. Along the way, Christianity has become to be perceived as the historical and cultural possession of a particular geographical reason. It is therefore necessary to explore how this dynamic came about because it is a global religion. Jesus says, learn from me next. I'm trying to end it. Learn from me. That word learn from me is a, form, is a smaller micro word of the word disciple. What is a disciple? Being in a lifelong apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. On your journey, listen, on your journey with Jesus, you are going to come across doubts. Do you hear me? You hear somebody say Christianity was created in Egypt, and they're going to present you information in a video that shows you similarities. They'll show you a picture on this side. Then they'll show you a picture on this side. You'll be like, I didn't know that. But see, if you're going to deconstruct rightly, what you have to find out is, just send them a comment. Where did you get that source from? If they don't sell you anything and you walk away believing the video, that's your fault. Because your job is to deconstruct the deconstructors. Most times, your faith in Christ gets deconstructed. You don't deconstruct the people that's deconstructing. So if you're going to really deconstruct, you can't just deconstruct the one who wants to deconstruct. You get out of deconstruct the deconstructor who's trying to deconstruct what you're trying to deconstruct. But once you deconstruct the deconstructor, you'll realize that they didn't really deconstruct. They're really just trying to destroy. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What we have to do is, how do we do this, church? We have to get in front of those we have to get in front of this and be honest. We got to be honest with where Christianity, listen, has failed. Got to get in front of it. So you got to be like, well, if something's wrong that Christianity did, say, yep. Don't try to say, well, nope. Yep, we did that. Christians did kill people in the name of Jesus. Yep, people who call themselves Christian did destroy, and yep, yep, those people that went to Capitol, yes, they all claim to be Christians. Yes, there were Christians that burned crosses in people's yards. Yes, there were, you, yes. But the question you have to say is, is that Christianity? Listen, so what you have to do is you have to get in front of it and beat your enemies to the punch. Okay, I'm closing here. Now, don't judge me. But one of my favorite movie endings of all time is Eight Mile. 
I, I'm, I, y'all just got to pray for pastor. Um, but Eminem, at the end of the movie, Papa Doc comes up, and that classic, ooh, that track, come on. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Oh, my God. Y'all just don't know hip-hop. That's 90s. I'm sorry. But, um, and what he begins to do is he begins, he knows what his enemy is about to say about him. So what he does is he takes everything he's going to say about him in the rhyme, and he tells him, yes, I'm white. Yes, I'm a piece of trash. He said a lot of explicitives. So... You know, that's why I didn't read it before I messed around and accidentally read one of them. Because I was going to rap it, but I was like, nah, because, you know, I may mess that up. <laughs> may mess that up. And they'd be like, woo, we got a, a team in the back just shuffling. Like, what should we do on the stream? What should we do? You know, <laughs> what should we do, right? <laughs> Don't have no lag time. Uh, <laughs> but um, but he, he basically tells them he's white. Uh, he did, the dude did mess with his girl. His boy is a sellout. He said all this stuff. He said, I'm a piece of trash. Then he tells him who he is that nobody knew about. He said, your, name, your name's Clarence. He, he said, this dude's not even a gangster. His name is Clarence. <laughs> he said, how can you be a gangster and your name's Clarence? <laughs> you know, he just goes in. And then he begins to say, he, he went to Cranbrook. That's a private school. He's like, how you a gangster? You went to pri- your parents have a really good man. He's going in. Then at the end, he, after he told him everything, he said, now tell these people something they don't already know about me. That's what Christianity has to do. See, if we're going to clean up Western Christianity, which I'm not trying to, trying to leave it, but I am trying to separate, separate us. This is not, I'm not talking about black people, because some fool is going to do a YouTube video saying, see, he's about, no. I'm talking about biblical Christianity, which includes all people globally. So don't go in here talking about he's just being black and black, black, black. Just shut up. Y'all forgive me. I got issues. And what we're trying to do, we're trying to distill ourselves from it. And we're going to say that's true. But then we're going to say this is true. And guess at the end of that, we're going to say there was one who died on a Friday who was hung high. And they stretched them wide and thunderstorms. The, the, the universe started reacting and shaking because the one who holds all things together was being killed. And he dropped his head into the locks of his jaws. And then all of a sudden on Friday, it was quiet. All of a sudden on Saturday, it was quiet. But all of Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. And guess what he says? Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and heart. And you, 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 you will find rest for your soul. Every head bow and every eye close. Lord God, um, Maybe there's someone who's on this live. Maybe there's someone who um, doesn't know you, and they're in the room. We're not here to judge them. We're trying to usher them out of judgment into truth. And we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you, Lord Jesus. He's here. He already knows everything. He knows your weariness. He knows your burdens. And he knows he's been misrepresented. But even though he's been misrepresented, he has set people on earth 
to represent and misrepresentation of anything isn't a reason to not respond to the real and Jesus is saying to me saying to you today rather he's saying you've heard the real me in a sound bite today a very very compact sound bite now what are you going to do? So for some of you, this altar call, if you will, is really you starting a journey. So uh, what I want to do is I want to first pray for those who are not there yet. But this was a step forward in the conversion direction. Then I want to pray for those who... You're saying, I want to meet Jesus. And then last, I'll pray for those who are wrestling through their faith as believers. If you want to trust Jesus as Savior, our surge team is available. If you're here in the room, you can slip your hand in the air. We'd love to pray for you. We won't ask you to come forward because of restrictions. I see that hand right here. I see that hand right here. I see that hand right here. Right here in the front. Yeah. Anybody else that says... I want to put my confidence in Jesus. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anyone else? You can hold your hand up. No judgment. I see that hand in the back. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see this hand to my left. I see you. I see you. There's another one. I see it. I see it. Let's make sure we take points of that. We're, gonna, we're not going to cost you or anything, but our folks are going to connect with you afterwards in a socially distanced manner. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Anybody else that wants to place their confidence in Jesus Christ? Anyone else? Anyone else? Online, our search team should be putting something in uh, the comment section uh, to be able to connect with you. We'd love to connect with you about the faith. Lord God and Father, thank you for these souls. Heaven is rejoicing. (laughs) Heaven is rejoicing. Lord, and um, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would open up hearts and minds and transform for real, for real, and put these good folks on a true journey of faith. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. Let's clap our hands for God's work. One last prayer, because I want to take this time. I want to take this time. I want uh, everybody head by every eye closed. If you're a believer here wrestling in your faith, you're in a deconstructing process. I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you. If you're in a deconstructing process, I see you. Thank you for being bold, sis. Thank you all for being. I see y'all. Some of this stuff is hitting you. I see you, bro. I see you, ladies. I see y'all in the back. I see you in the balcony. <clears throat> you're in a process of, like, like I'm, I'm on the fence about Christianity, about faith in Jesus. Um, I do have questions. And listen, your standing isn't a way to judge you. Um, It's just a way to love you. And um, we want to do whatever we can. If we got to create a new ministry to serve your questions, we will do whatever we need to do um, to really come alongside or through what we already have maybe in place that are good things. Um, anybody else? It's, it's no embarrassment. Nobody's looking. It's nothing to be embarrassed about, about having questions about your faith. It's nothing wrong with that. There's a guy in the Bible that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's nothing wrong with that. Thank you all for your boldness and standing up. Um, your standing up is a sign that you're not gone yet. And... um. And, and we're praying God's grace over you. Lord, every man and woman that's standing, I don't know what the wrestle is. You do. And the beautiful thing about you is that you're just great at handling doubt. You, I mean, you are an expert. And not just doubt, but just confusion. You're an expert at dealing with trauma. You're an expert 
with causing confusion to become construction. God, you're an expert at regulating minds. You're an expert at solving and soothing the tormented. You're an expert at thinking, at intellect. You're expert at it all. Let each one of them know that your expertise is here for them. It may not even be a question that needs answered. It may just need to be a hug that they need. It may be you're valued. It may be confusion about some sexual predatory practice that was done to you and they're wondering where you were. You're an expert. And God, where there are gaps, where there are gaps, put the cross. Where there are things that don't make sense, Lord, give them peace. And God, I know from being in a relationship with you that you don't promise to answer all our questions. <laughs> That's not how this works. Now, you do answer a lot of them, but there's some that you demand mystery and faith. That's tough. Um, but anybody who we trust, we trust. And you are a valued place of trust. Thank you for each person standing. Meet them where they are in Jesus' name. Amen. Last thing, let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Communion, if you're, if you're a believer, this is for you. If you're not in Christ, we would ask that you let the elements pass because it's only for those who have placed their confidence in Jesus. As we take communion, if you're able, let us stand together. Oh, God. Mm. Communion um, is one of those things God does to fill the gaps. It's one of those things that are, um, it really makes everything make sense. Not the elements in it of itself, but the one who the elements represent. If you weren't served, hold your hand up. I just want to make sure everybody who wanted to take communion got, excuse me, got communion. There's some hands up, so if y'all, uh, I just can check. That'll be great. On the night <clears throat> that our Savior was betrayed, <laughs> he took the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal and the bitter herbs, he held up a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood. He blessed it, blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let us drink together. Pastor Gus, come do the benediction, please, sir. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Father, I thank you 
We bless you. We love you. We honor you, O oh Lord. Thank you for being such a safe haven for us. Thank you for being our refuge. Thank you for being our pillow. We can find rest and cast our burdens at your feet. Be with us, your people, this week. Remind us and reassure us of your love. May we seek your face, Lord God. Smile upon us. Bless us. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We worship you and we adore you. We thank you, O oh God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.